0: All right, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty through 28. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ... Then comes the end, when, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. But when it says everything is put under him, it's, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. And when everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that we acknowledge you here right now. I thank you, Father, that you are present with us. Holy Spirit, you are present with us. Thank you, Father, for um, leading us and guiding us and helping each one of us to get out of the way so the Holy Spirit can rule and reign and guard our hearts and and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, um, we are continuing, like I said, in 1 Corinthians 15. And um, this chunk of scriptures that is coming up Um, And really, this whole subject is really theologically dense. And um, I'm excited that we're able to look into it and kind of do a deep dive and and kind of read this passage. Um, Because there are parts of the Bible that get extremely wordy. Um, There's parts in the Old Testament that are basically chapters filled with genealogies and different things, which all have meaning. And um, if you like that kind of thing, good for you. But um, whenever I read the genealogies, I find myself bored, right? There are boring parts of the Bible. And um, the truth behind the Bible, the truth behind the the boringness, and, and if you actually study it, maybe you can find some interesting details, but not all of us are fashioned to be able to sit down and actually pull something from those genealogies. That's why I'm happy for people that have studied the Old Testament and who are fluent in Hebrew and Greek and have studied, that are literally biblical scholars, that they have been in decades of school to be able to figure it out. So in talking about that, how often does this happen? Maybe you're reading the Bible or reading a book or maybe even listening to a sermon. Certainly not certainly this situation wouldn't happen here. But maybe you're listening to a podcast or you're listening to someone speak. And in the first couple of moments you're extremely engaged. You're right there with the thing that you're reading with the form of media that you are choosing to dive into, you are there. And then some time, some moments pass by, maybe 10 to 15 minutes, and then all of a sudden you kind of snap back to reality and kind of wake up and realize, I haven't been paying attention whatsoever for the past 10 minutes. Like I said, that certainly does not happen here. (laughs) Amen. That's a joke. Um... But um, I, this happens, This happens. And, and there's certain situations and reasons that this may happen. Maybe it's been a, a long week, maybe you're a little bit physically tired, maybe um, you, you're, you're thinking about something, maybe you're thinking about news that's going on, maybe you're, you saw and read something on Facebook, maybe you spoke to a relative and they didn't treat you very nice and it has consumed you. And then you try to maybe get your mind off of that, but you just find yourself thinking about what you're trying to do. And, and for readers, and I am a reader, and this is a recent development, maybe in the past five years I became a reader, I, it really frustrates me when this happens, because I remember turning the page. I remember reading the words, but I can't remember for the life of me what I just read. And this is very frustrating for, for um, a fairly new like, reader, f- past five years, to um, have to backtrack. Because you know what I like? I like it when I reach the end of a page. And I like it when I reach the end of a paragraph. And I like it when you get to the last, or, or uh, reach the end of a chapter. And I like it when the last page of the chapter is like this big. And you feel like you've accomplished something, and I think that there's, there's a mix between maybe that feeling is really good, but also the information is good, hopefully. But what happens when you've basically checked out for the past 10 minutes, you have to flip back and figure out where you um, m- missed it and like got derailed. Or, if you don't like what you're reading, maybe you just go like, bulldoze through. Um, And what happens when this happens is we assume, and we kind of fill in the blanks, and our brains are um, good at filling in the blanks of what we think we're reading, or or life memories, and different things like that, but really, um, the brains are good with filling in the blanks, but the information that gets filled in is not always very good. So what happens is we have these bullet points of what our literature means. We have these bullet points of what we assume the Bible is saying. And we have kind of this bullet point theology. And really, it's just the bullet points that I was paying attention at that time. And I was paying attention probably because the, the Bible or the minister was talking about something I can relate to. And I like it when he talks about that. So... I I, I'm so we have like this almost imbalance of theology and different things the way we think about God. This is in the world today also. Um, I believe that that is is a symptom of the world, this kind of bullet point understanding of all of the information we're getting. And a lot of people blame it on technology and about how our kids are using tablets in schools and how, how they're getting bored. But I'm sorry, when I was growing up in school, I didn't have any tablets. I just had a piece of, or I had a piece of paper and a pen and I would doodle. So, I don't think that kids are paying less attention, because I didn't pay attention worth squat at school. That's just a confession. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't. I was really good at taking tests, but I didn't just because I was good at taking tests. I don't know how I was good at taking tests. I was just able to see a bunch of information on the study guide and memorize it, basically. And I would ace every test, but I would have failing grades because I didn't do my homework. My mom can attest to this. (laughs) Amen. But, um, so so you kind of get this thing where you don't pay attention to, and what you do pay attention to is usually the stuff that you like. Welcome to the world today, and sadly, welcome to Christianity today. Biblical literacy is at an all-time low in the history of the world. There is so much packed into these verses, into these, um, the verses that I read today, in these eight verses. Usually I do a, a longer, a, a more wide amount of verses, more verses, but we're only doing eight this morning. and This is some really dense writing, and I feel like there is this inner conflict within the church. And really, it's just a shadow, or it's just kind of an inner conflict of, the way that the world is going, there is a war between like intelligence and intellect and basically simplicity. Um, There's like on one side, we'll do this side, one side is pure rationalism. That I have to be able to quantify what I'm reading and I have to be able to break it down into rational thought and it's all about information and no feeling whatsoever on this side. It's not about feeling. It's not about emotions. It's about the, the, what I can break down in my thinking and rational mind. And then on this side is like mysticism. Both these sides have good parts of it. This side is pure mysticism, pure mystery, pure being driven by the way you feel and your emotions and different things like that. And that's how you relate to God, through your emotions, purely. So on one side, you you um, relate to God in the way you see the world through rationalism. On the other side, it's like this ooey-gooey um, weirdness where you're looking for portals and stuff like that, portals to heaven. That's a real thing. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I'm not going I'm, I'm to knock anything, but at the same time, like um, on this side, there's, ex- there's extremes. And um, th- from this side, we had, like, a church split. We had the what they call in the Orthodox the Desert Fathers that kind of went off and stayed in Eastern Orthodoxy. And then we had the West that went off and brought us the Reformation and different things. And the West kind of dis- like, got away from that part, and then the Eastern people got away from that part, where this part has really good things. Like, this part has, like, um, the idea of contemplative prayer and centering prayer and being silent before God and just being there. And this side has understanding and knowledge. And the rub is, the, the deception is, is, you have to choose one or the other. And that's the deception. God wants to form us into a whole being, a whole being. If God didn't want us to grow in intelligence, he would not have given us a mind that is really capable of powerful things, extraordinary things. This mind can think up how to, a hundred years ago, have, have no real idea of what a computer was or could be. To fast forward to nowadays, I have a computer that's basically a supercomputer in my pocket that can access a database of infinite amount of information, called the internet. This is amazing, and this was thought up with human minds. Human minds worked and, and figured out and computed, computers computed, human flesh computers computed how to get rockets into the sky. Where they didn't really have computers. Well, they did have computers, but they were really out. They, they, there were people that thought smarter than the actual computers that they had at the time, and they would do calculations and figure out how to get these rockets in the sky and how to get them down. Our minds are capable of one wonderful, amazing things. But at the same time, God, if God didn't want us to feel, He wouldn't have given us emotions that are able to connect us so intimately with himself and with each other in such strong ways. The problem that has led so many to choose one side or the other is the order, as we try to decide for ourselves, and we're we're doing it in an improper order. And perfect for us, the text explains that, Christ has come to put things back in order, and when he came to the earth, he came to put things back in order, and when things are properly put back into order, we can marvel at the genius of the author of life, as well as stand in overwhelming awe and presence in the great, in the, of the great I am. So this morning, we are going to have to kind of need to do a deeper dive, which is important, Now, if the saying is true that you can't unsee what you have seen, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to show us some things. Now, usually this is used in a negative context, meaning if I had a store that I really liked going to because they had clothes that fit my style and I could get them for pretty cheap. And then one day I read an article and it came out, a news article that is trustworthy and from multiple sources, that that specific store Got their clothes unethically, meaning they maybe um, got all of their products or merchandise from a a sweatshop in another country where they use child labor. Hopefully, I can't unsee what I've seen. Well, I can't unsee what I've seen, but once I've seen that, hopefully, that maybe changes my point of view on that particular store and causes me to shop somewhere else. Or maybe there's a person that you look up to, and, and um, this person is, is great and wonderful and marvelous, and then he, is, they, he, they, she are caught in an act of doing something wrong. And you found out that, that everything that they've done is basically deception, different things. I'm, not, I'm literally not um, alluding to anybody right now at all. Don't think that. amen so (laughs) okay so 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 and and it comes out the truth is there um, and they've done something truly horrible maybe I can allude well it was pretty obvious when Hitler was doing something bad but uh, but 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 it came out that there is some information that came out and they actually confessed and, and yeah I did this and you can't unsee what you have seen that's it in the negative context so, meaning, once you see something, not just with your eyes, but also with your conscious or your intellect, you're introduced into a whole new space. You have unlocked, there has been a space unlocked, and you have walked into a room that you, are, you didn't know existed, but it does. Um, or maybe it's better to think of it, in, in, as far as theology goes, or that's just a fancy word for how and what we think of God, that's what theology is. Is, a ve- is. Think of theology as a vast area that you spend time in and are familiar with, but it is far larger and far more detailed than you thought because you didn't have a big enough light, light to see. Now, Jesus, when he walked on the earth, we, we read about it in John chapter 5. He was talking to the Pharisees, and he, he told the Pharisees, now you, Pharisees, have trusted John the Baptist and his light. And, he, and, and what he was saying is you have trusted the way that John the Baptist has interpreted the law and the prophets and, and, and the way he has led his life. You have trusted it in sh- some way, shape, or form. That's all I'm pulling out of that area right now. So each one of us have a light, our own light. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about Jesus inside of us. Each one of us has a way of seeing things, our worldview. Each one of us does. Um, Each one of us has our own light or insight. We must not forget, though, that Jesus had a light too. And it's spoken about at the beginning of John, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That was speaking of Christ, Jesus, Jesus. And in him was light, and that light was the life of men. This life is inextinguishable, or this light is inextinguishable, and it is infinite. And the Spirit of Christ is the teacher who can teach through men and women. Listen to me. The Spirit of Christ is the teacher who can teach through men and women who stand in pulpits, but don't settle on the light of individual men and women. Does that make sense? I believe 100% that God can communicate with anybody the way he chooses to. I guarantee also, this, is, this might upset some people, but I'm just saying it. If God wanted to, and it was the only way that it was possible, he could speak to anybody through any type of form of media. Whether it be a rated R movie or a secular song, God would be able to reach someone, if he so choose to, through that. Now, so we don't, but we don't, but we don't trust the light. We, we trust, we, we trust the voice that's, that's speaking through not the, the individual voice. Does that make sense? Don't trust my light. Don't trust it. If, if I wanted, I mean, don't trust my light. Don't, um, don't, I don't want to create a bunch of people that think the way that I think. Does that make sense? And I do my best to get out of the way when I preach a sermon and when I prepare. I can't do this perfectly. No one can. No one can. If they are saying that they can, run. Get out of the way. Get away from that person. They are false. They are a false prophet, I guarantee you. If anybody stands in the pulpit and says, I know, and this is what I know, and what I know is truth, and you need to do it the way I do it, run. Run. No one can do it perfectly. I mean, they've done studies. At least 25% of the way every single person thinks they believe or their worldview, at least 25% is just wrong. God speaks through men and women, but don't trust what the men and women... Don't trust them. You understand what I'm saying. So the light we as humans have varies in quality, but compared to the light of the Spirit, it is insufficient. So um, you as the listener also have a light or an insight or what I would call a teacher. Um, That you as the listener have the same responsibility as I have to kind of get out of the way and judge the words that are coming out and in, in being spoken, and hearing the truth beyond the truth. So each one of you also have a point of view that, that also needs to kind of critically think about the words that are saying, and kind of get out of the way and let the Spirit be able to speak. Because um, the words being spoken, and you, how you yourself who has a light or an insight, automatically, this happens within just the smallest amount of time, automatically interprets what is being said and puts into categories and builds context around to fit nicely into your conscious. So when I say something as a teacher or something like that, hopefully inspired by the Holy Spirit, it goes from my mouth to your ears and automatically you in your consciousness and you're not even aware of this probably, reteaches it to yourself. And fits it into the way you live your life and your, your um, consciousness. That's why um, it's so easy to be able to take people out of context, because I am speaking this, and there, there's not just me as a teacher, and there's not just Jesus here as a teacher, but every single one of you... As a learner has a teacher that is reteaching the information that you are you are hearing right now. Does that make sense? Hopefully. The Spirit wants us to show us us things that can't be unseen, that are glorious and, and expand and stretch out our hearts and minds. So so this is the bullet points that, that you kind of hear and grab your attention. You kind of take those things and you put them into your own consciousness. But what the Holy Spirit wants to do is this. Your teacher is garbage and he wants to explode the context that you have built around your life. Does this make sense? He wants to kind of obliterate the way you see life and the way you see the world because the way you see life And the way you see the world, compared to Jesus, compared to God, compared to the almighty creator, is garbage. 100%, I'm sorry. And I'm doing good this morning. I've said everybody's way of seeing the world is garbage. Amen? Because it's true. That's where we got got off. That's where man got off. That's where man introduced death and disorder into the world because they thought... I know. Yeah. And the second you think you know is the, is, is the proof that you don't. I knew more before I knew more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's a proper order for everything. This is a major theme in the text and Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and is the first fruits. This is, this is a... The first fruits being his resurrected body that walked here on the earth and showed himself to 500 people. This means that Jesus, in his glorified existence, his new physical embodiment from when he was walking on the earth, his new immortal self is the substance of what we can now hope for. His new glorified body that walked on the earth. And revealed to 500 people was something men and women saw, heard, sat with, ate with, touched. There was a substance. So Jesus' resurrected body is the substance of, is the substance of what we can hope for, the things not yet inherited. in to, to one day we will inherit our own new glorified existence just like Jesus had. And this is faith. Jesus Christ's resurrected self is the substance of things hoped for. This connects us to what? Salvation. And this brings more weight and meaning to our confession that Jesus is Lord. When you're saying Jesus is Lord... What you're saying is He is the Christ and He is the Messiah. He is the King. The King of what? The King of heaven and earth. It brings more weight and meaning to our confession and it brings more weight and meaning to our belief that God raised Him from the dead because He was raised from the dead and has a resurrected body which is the substance of things hoped for. That's Romans 10.9. Romans, in verse 10, it speaks of this believing resulting in righteousness and the, this confession resulting in salvation. Now, Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10 has been made way too personal in our church. It's so much more than um, one confession and one belief in my heart that happened one time way back when, and that means I'm saved. It's so much more than the Romans' road. The personal implications of the gospel are there, but what the big picture is, is so much greater. Our confession is the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, the King that is leading His people in salvation. Romans 10 begins picking up the theme of the end of Romans 9, where Paul was talking about that, that he wishes, at the beginning of Romans 10, he says, I wish for them to have salvation. At the end of Romans 9, he was speaking of Israel, the Jewish people. So, Romans 9 and the salvation of Israel, the restoration of, in, in that, that salvation was meant to be the restoration of what Israel was meant to be, the nation so blessed for the purpose of blessing. Being filled to overflowing, listen to me, where the overflow is just as important as the initial filling. God chose a people, and his plan was for this people to be so blessed that they blessed the nations around it. So they are so blessed, which is important, but just as important, maybe even more important, is their response, their, their, their fulfillment in being able to bless the whole world. This is the context in which the salvation of, John, or of Romans 10 is speaking of. Being filled to overflowing where the overflow is just as important as the initial filling. The wonderful truth is found in verse 12, that salvation is no longer just for Israel, but for any human who wants to take part in God's plan. So what is this for? Is this for me to one day um, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in my heart, and then just do it one, one point fixed in time or does it mean, is there greater meaning for it? I believe 100% that there's a greater meaning. Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10 is so much more. The salvation we have seen only as personal is so much more. Our salvation is supposed to contribute to the salvation of all of creation and humanity. What it is not is a single fixed point in time where you one time believed and one time confessed. You keep believing and growing in that belief. And you keep confessing Jesus as King. And this confession is not to be made in an echo chamber where you confess Jesus Christ as King and a bunch of like-minded people say, well hallelujah, great for you. This is you going out into a broken, hurting, dying, existing world and proclaiming that Jesus Christ is King. Seeing injustice, seeing death, Seeing evil and proclaiming over it, Jesus Christ is king. I'm going to pray over this situation and that prayer is going to evolve into action where I do something about the evil that is going on. We're not an echo chamber. We're not an echo chamber. It's not an echo chamber. It's not meant, it's not meant to, we're not meant to just be here and just, just be with a bunch of like-minded people. Yeah. We're not just supposed to be with a bunch of like-minded people where, oh, I, oh, praise, hallelujah, great, good God, glory to God. Everybody just doing the same thing. And if you notice it, if you notice it, the, 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 the I mean, that's, 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 that's going out of style. And it's dying. What's left will be what's right and what's true. Salvation in, the, in Romans 10 is not about, it's not so much as just something that happens to you personally. It's an invitation into God's kingdom where God is king. And you, you join in. This confession is so much more than personally saying it to yourself. And it's, it's, it's so much more than saying it in a debate form or a defensive form. Yeah. It's the confession, it, it sees injustice in proclaiming Jesus as key. King, pro- praying for and being led to do something about. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says, um, you you are a prayer warrior and that is your job. You're only supposed to pray. Um, you're not only supposed to pray, you're supposed to do something. I don't think that there's anyone in here. But if that speaks to you and you hear it, then hear it. The resurrection of the Son of God is how salvation takes place and is the answer in victory over the final enemy, which is death. Now, Paul calls the final enemy death, and it's, it's, it's good I think that it's good practice to understand that death is an enemy. And just because Jesus Christ won the victory over it does not make death any less of an enemy than it was. Does that make sense? It's not something that's just like, oh, well, we're all happy. We know he's in a better place. Death is the enemy. And Jesus Christ came to conquer it. And this... The, death is... It, your view of death being some kind of floaty weirdness, if you actually recognize it as something that's evil, that has been introduced into the world by all of mankind, that, that Jesus Christ's victory over it, it, it explodes what you believe about the victory of Jesus Christ. And you see how big it is and how great it is. Don't view death as just some sort of thing. If you view that, if you view it as just some kind of floaty thing, I've never met a spouse who had a bereaved spouse be okay. Yeah, that's right. It's an enemy. Jesus Christ came to conquer it. Yeah. That might make you think a little bit better when you're, um, when you actually are. Um, Speak, or when you are actually at a funeral and you, are, you see the spouse, or you see the son, or you see the family members that are brokenhearted. And maybe it'll make you think about it differently and about how maybe you need to respect that family and pay your respects to that family and let them grieve. Now, there are some people who, who don't want it to be grieving, but at the same time, there is still grieving. I've been able, I've been honored to be able to do two funerals, and there are people there that are happy, but I guarantee you there's whole rows of families that are just in tears, and our job isn't just to pat them on the back and say he's in a better place, or she's in a better place. It's to point them to the true hope, Jesus Christ. Woo! Amen. things you don't plan on saying. The resurrection of the Son of God is how salvation takes place, and is the answer to the victory over the, or the, the answer and victory over the final enemy, which is death. Death was brought into the world through a man or, or through Adam, is what the, the scripture says through a man first and then through Adam. But this is not used here just as a single person from Genesis, but it is a sign or representation, an archetype. Of every single person, every single person, I'll say this: If if you were in the Garden scenario, the, the 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 amount of men and women that ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil was two out of two. That's one hundred percent. That's one hundred percent of all human beings ate from it at the time. So. If you were in that situation, you would have eaten the tree of, you would have eaten it too. If you were there when Jesus Christ was being crucified, you would have been saying, Hosanna one day, and then three days later, screaming out, crucify him. That's just truth. That's humanity. So we have to stop blaming others for the death that is in the world. Every human being has contributed to introducing death into God's good creation. Every single one of us. Yeah. Every single one of us. Now, like the, like the hymn John and Deborah saying, there's no guilt in life. That is true for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. But you have contributed to it. Yeah. I, I mean... And, and, and hopefully you recognize when you still contribute to it. Every single decision that is made on this planet is infinite and has repercussions and implications. And our hope is, our hope is in Jesus Christ that He covers that, that love covers a multitude of sins. And that that the, the the that the things and where I miss it from this day forward are also forgiven by God, but that does not mean I, that does not mean that I can just kind of like 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 there's a lot of people who preach messages talking a lot of messages about who you are in Christ and different things like that, and I've known a lot of people like that, and I'm sorry you can talk until you're blue in the face about how you're righteous in Christ, but if you're still a jerk, there's something that needs to change. Yeah. Amen. Man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It, I mean, the the object, the, the thing that grace is is something that you take hold of and it actually makes you a better human being. <laughs> and I'm sorry if you've been preaching for decades and decades and de- decades about the grace of God and who you are in Christ and you're still acting and living like the scum of the earth. There's, some, there's a disconnect there, and I'm sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> Don't trust anyone's light. Don't trust anyone's light. Don't trust any individual men or woman's light. Okay. Trust the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Death was... <laughs> Every human being has contributed to introducing death into God's good creation. And the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, comes through Jesus. And this is this is his conquering over death to the first fruits to show that death is time is up. It says in our um, scripture, all of this will happen in order. Creation is order. Yeah. Death is disorder. God creates a beautiful world that's, that's beautiful. He, he, in the Genesis story, it says he does it in seven days, and he looks at it, and it's very good. He introduces man into his good creation, and they get the idea that they want to do things on their own, and it introduces death and disorder. I mean, they are influenced by the spirit of the world, or the, the serpent, but it, they, they have introduced this death into creation and it's cre- it, it started to exploit the earth. And when they were supposed to subdue it and cultivate it and make it beautiful, they started destroying it and destroying each other. Christ is the meaning and the reason for all of creation, all of the good creation. It says it in Colossians 15. The resurrection truly reveals the glory of Christ, the substance of things hoped for, and is the first fruits. And then he will appear and his throne room will be revealed to all of heaven and earth. And when that happens, it's going to be amazing. There's going to be a day where um, I'm either, uh, I hear the voice of my Lord and I am either resurrected from the grave or I am changed in the twinkling of an eye. And I see him in the throne. Now, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to be able to see it when I'm here in Kansas. I don't know if something happens where all of a sudden I'm, I'm in um, Israel or wherever it happens, it's going to happen. <laughs> you ever think about that? Like, like I understand that it's, it, I mean, people, people say things, it, I, I mean, people don't understand that some of the Bible is speaking in metaphor and mystery. Because, um, because if we're all going to be caught up in the clouds or go up, what happens to the people that are going up on the other side of the globe? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Just a random thought. That, that's, that's like part of my light. <laughs> I'm funny, I think. <laughs> that's, not, that's not me saying anything. But, so, so it's going to happen. And then the throne room is going to appear on this earth. Heaven and earth are going to be made one, and I'm going to see my King Jesus, and I will be like Him, meaning I will have a resurrected body as well. Amen. Then comes the end, is what it says in, chapter, in verse 24. When He hands over the kingdom of God, the Father, when He abolishes all rule and authority and power, for He must reign until He puts all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. And this is Paul's understanding, basically, of Revelations 21, 3-8, which says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, meaning it's here on this earth, His good creation. Well, His new, new creation. It's the new, new. And He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer, because the previous things have passed away. Meaning the old heaven and the old earth have passed away, and the new heaven and the new earth are this dimension where they're not two separate things, but they are one thing that have just been spoken together and shook together, and then old things passed away, and the previous things are passed away, and they are new, brand new. Now, um, that's a wonderful picture, but Paul kind of ends um, our, our um, texts with kind of this weird head-stretching type of thing that he's saying. It, it says, and this is my paraphrase, God put everything under Christ, but that doesn't mean that God is under Christ. It says in the scripture, God is the exception. So when everything after the end is put in order, the Son is subject to God, so that God may be all in all. Now what this leads some to believe is that somehow Jesus Christ is less, which is simply not true. So that God may be all in all. So when so, so it says, so when everything after the end is put in order, the Son is subject to God, so that God may be all in all. Christ is part of the all in all. And he is the equal part of the all in all. Philippians 2:6 in the New Living's tra- New Living Translation says, though he was God. Jesus Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on on the cross. The Christ that was God at the beginning, he was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The, the Christ from whom all creation is created, to whom and through whom all things are created. That Christ, who is the firstborn over all creation, the one from everything, the one, the one from whom everything was created, in heaven on earth, that Christ. Chose submission. God chose submission. God chose humility. Christ was not less. He chose humility. He chose submission. The Christ that is as much God as the Father chose a human life And that human life was subject to God. And this is really one of the greatest mysteries that I don't believe is thought about enough. That a major part, a major part of who God is and the story of the gospel and the way that it works is that Christ, who is God, is the one who empties himself. He is the one that empties himself. And this is how God is able to become all in all. And as this happened, this mystery of the incarnation of God, this idea of Christ from the foundation of the earth in all of his glory being poured out until the complete depletion of everything that made him God. Death on a cross. So our God is the one who is all in all. He is the one that is everything, and He is also the one who is pouring Himself out and emptying Himself out. This is miraculous. And this is, leaves us in awe. Then God, by His working of the Spirit, resurrected Jesus, the firstfruits, the Son of Man. Now God has exalted Jesus as King and has seated Him in a position of authority where He can lead His people in salvation as now the Spirit is being poured out on all flesh. This picture of God pouring out is a theme in which the persons of the Trinity are continuously pouring themselves out and being filled by one another, overflowing and blessing and bringing life. It makes you wonder. It makes you stand in awe of the mystery. It, makes you, it stretches you. It stretches you. That, that God is this picture of of this Trinity pouring itself into each other, and as it's pouring itself into each other, it's always full, and it's always being emptied, and it's always overflowing. It's a mystery. And this overflowing is... is, is, is is how creation came about and through this overflowing god poured out and created order yeah. he created order over and the spirit hovered over the earth and it was form it was formless and void what that it was tohu vohu which is a ter, which is a hebrew term the wild and the waste, the chaos and the disorder. And God brought order and creation to the earth as this thing was happening, this pouring in and through and out of each other. And to what end does all this pouring lead to? The end where God is all in all. Where death, the final enemy, is abolished. This is God's story. The invitation is for us to be a part of it. May we hold on to grace that we may serve Him acceptably. Yeah. May this faith grow inside of us as God expands us and expands our consciousness and expands our understanding. It needs to be expanding all the time, every, every time, all the time. And that's not, that's not just, that's not how, that's not information. It's not more information. It's an expansion. Yeah and it's a, it's a, it's a room it's a growth it's the kingdom of god that's growing and as all of this happens may we ourselves pour out our lives for one another follow suit i i think that if you find yourself always if you find yourself always needing to be Prayed for about something. If you find yourself always needing someone to kind of fill in the gap for you. If you find yourselves needing to get prayer for some sort of healing. I want to challenge you. Find someone that you can pour yourself out for. Because as you pour yourself out for somebody else. As you do something for somebody else. And pour out the life of God. Pour out your life for others, God's life will be pouring into yours. That's what we're meant to do. That was the call of Israel to pour out so God could pour in. And what happens when God pours what happens when, when God pours out through human flesh and then pours into human flesh, it overflows. It gets everywhere. His kingdom grows. I would, I would see, I would, I would argue that a church that always need, has a bunch of needs inside of that church, a church that has just a bunch of people that are kind of like this sick, needy group of people, a church like that is not a church that is pouring itself out. And we want to be a church that pours ourselves out. And we don't need to be a church that within this church has a bunch of prayer requests going on. We need to be a church that goes out and answers prayers. We need to be a church of mature Christ followers that are going up and proclaiming the kingdom of God proclaiming that Jesus Christ is king and going and finding prayer requests finding prayer requests Christians I mean where does it say in the where does it say in the Bible that the 12 disciples always asked each other for prayer They were just this healthy because they were about doing the works of God the kingdom of God where where does it say in the book of acts i mean there's a there's a couple places here and there but 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 where does it say in the book of acts where 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 they it was like this unhealthy group of people that just always needed to feed off of each other no it was this ever expanding group of people that lived in community with each other, not in community like everybody's fluffy hoo-hoo, we're all friends, cult-like, but we're all understand each other and are there for each other and willing to pour out our lives for one another. And you don't do this just by, I'll say a prayer for you, brother. You do this on, you do this by, how can I, how can I be the answer for this prayer? And if you feel led to be the answer to someone's prayer, good for you. Step out in faith and do it. And watch God change your life. Watch God change your life. But if you, but if you, just, if you don't want to consider how you can be the answer to someone's prayers, then I don't know what to say for you. Um, there's not much to say. You might need to reevaluate um, how you're spending your time and the way that you think this all works. Harsh words, but they're true. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to take for the churches in this country to stop playing church. There's, there's a couple testimonies. I saw a testimony of a church in Texas that decided to pay off $10 million of medical bills. Without question. Just do it. There's there's a store there's stories of churches in Oregon there's one called Imago Day where they have they have thought of a way to help the um, foster care system in that in that in their area and actually the government is asking this church to partner with them because they have noticed the decline in the rates of peop- of children in the foster care system and the foster care system in this country alone is, is, is so horrible. There are so many children that are in and out of houses and at the same time being sexually abused and taken away from their homes to go to another foster care home that will sexually abuse them. We're just sitting in church, right? Well, I can say Merry Christmas now. Isn't that great? Because I got the right person in office. I can say Merry Christmas. When is the church going to do what the church is supposed to do? If, you're wanna, if you want to be upset about, about Section 8 housing and food stamps and government assistance, maybe you should take part in what the church is actually supposed to do. Because the church is supposed to fill in the gaps and seek out the poor and heal the sick. It's serious, guys. Scott was right when he was talking this morning. If you live in this country, if your skin is white, and if you're a man, you have won the genetic lottery. There's injustice in the world... And it needs to be talked about. And we need to proclaim that Jesus Christ is king. And we need to do something about it by holding on to grace. So we're going to take communion. Communion servers, you can get ready. And you're invited to this table. If you're just kind of sick of it. You're just sick of the thousands of people that go to church, uh, millions of people, the billions of people that go to church every single Sunday. That if they just like, what if we all decided, all the churches in America, that if one person could afford to give one dollar to some sort of thing? Yeah. We live in a country that, that, that our, the people that are getting elected into the office, no matter where it comes from, I don't care where it comes from, but spends millions of dollars to try to get you to vote for them again, or vote for them. Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars going just to campaigns. We call ourselves a Christian nation I'm sorry. No. I don't care what that means. I don't care what the words mean for me. They need to be said. I don't care what you think about me for saying them. So, with that, communion servers, you can come up, and you are invited to this table. If you're just just wanting, to be a part of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.